It has only been within the last couple of years that I could really say that I uh, have come to appreciate Thanksgiving. Every year we'd come to Thanksgiving and Christina would talk about what we were going to do and I would inform Christina that I did not care for Thanksgiving. And she would graciously say to me, well, I appreciate you tolerating it for me and ignore me and move on with our plans for the, for the season. I remember even preaching a couple sermons in my ministry about the things I didn't like about Thanksgiving. You can imagine that those were very uplifting uh, messages, holiday messages. Let me tell you what I don't like about the holiday you're about to celebrate. It wasn't really hard for me to think of, of, of negatives about Thanksgiving, not because Thanksgiving is, is bad, but simply because it is actually within human nature, sinful nature, is drawn to find the negative in things. That's who we are. On September 5 of this year, the Los Angeles Times uh, ran an uh, article about a study that was being done out of the university, that had been done out of the University of Michigan. And in this study, they asserted that three out of five people are, are biased towards, or they, they, they are drawn towards the negative. Three out of five people are drawn towards the negative. Political scientist Stuart Sirocco, the leader of this study, believes this is why the news networks are increasingly focused on the negativity in the world. Because the majority of humans are drawn to the negative and thus negative news increases eyeballs on their product and eyeballs on their product increases what? Revenue in their pockets. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, the news is so negative these days, they're just turning the world. But maybe the, world, the news is actually just following our sinful human nature. One area in particular that people look towards and have great concern over and a, and a great deal of negativity about, and that is the bleakness of the future. An article from Pew Research, which appeared uh, in their magazine March 21, 2019, begins in this way, with this uh, opening statement. When Americans peer 30 years into the future, they see a country in decline, economically, politically, and on the world stage. Now, you may know a few people like I've known that, that they seem to have an uncanny gift of being able to find the negative in every situation. Now, if you are sitting next to them, don't look at them right now, all right? Just keep your eyes on me. They're able to, anything, well, we're going to do this. Well, I don't want to do this, and here's why. And, well, what about this? And, well, I don't want to do this, and, and here's why. If you are one of those people, though, maybe not even just have those people around you, but if you are one of those people that, that seems to have a gift of being able to find the negative in, in everything, even in the most ridiculous maybe of ways, uh, then, then I'm going to give you some more ammo right now. An article that was written many, many years ago, also in the Los Angeles Times by Barry Siegel, he wrote this. He says, consider what some scientists predict. If everyone keeps stacking National Geographics in their garages and attics, that's how we know the article was from a long time ago, because I don't know how many people still are stacking National Geographics. It used to be that if you walked into an Adventist home, you see a Bible, you see some Ellen White books, and you see a stack of National Geographics somewhere. Uh, 
So he says, but he's talking about this, and he says, uh, he, he, he writes, if, if everyone keeps stacking National Geographics in garages and attics, instead of throwing them away, the magazine's weight will begin to sink the continent up to 100 feet. <laughs> he says, sometime soon, he says, he, he reports that this is what, this is, he reports that this is what, what uh, uh, scientists predict, that sometime soon, we will all be inundated by the oceans due to... National Geographic collectors. <laughs> a second prediction, and he was talking about, he was writing about a, a hospital in St. Louis that, that has a large medical lab, and they have a lot of microscope specimen slides. He said, he said, if the number of microscope specimen slides submitted to this St. Louis hospital continues to increase at its current rate, the city of St. Louis will be buried under three feet of glass by the year 2224. Always something negative that's out there. And then this one, this one would, would, I know, break my wife's heart if this ever became a reality. If beachgoers keep returning home with as much sand clinging to them as they do now, 80% of the country's coastline, coastline will disappear in 10 years. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? Brush the sand off your feet before you leave, all right? But the point of the article, the point of the article, the overall larger point of this, of uh, uh, Barry Siegel's article was it that people spend too much time looking for the worst outcomes in life. That this tends to be our nature, that we look for the worst outcomes in life. Now, you might have heard that something big is happening in our country in the next year. We're heading into 2020. Can you believe we're already almost to 2020, 2020? It's amazing. And it's a presidential election year for our nation, the United States of America. It is also a leadership election for the Seventh-day Adventist World Church. And what are we often asked to do during election years? We are often asked by those who are wanting to, to step into the office to look at all that has gone wrong over the past years, to focus on the negative. And we're asked by those that are in office to look at all that will go wrong if we put the wrong people in to certain positions. We are encouraged to look upon the negative. It is our, it is our, our nature, three out of five of us have a tendency to look upon the negative or be drawn to the negative. Of course, our media has grab, uh, 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 caught on to this and they've started to even promote that even more. It is... It is uh, a year in which many of us will be encouraged to look at the worst aspects of other humans and the greatest failures in our nation. And with all that in mind, I thought it might be wise for us to be reminded that as Christians, we are called to be the opposite of all of this. That as Christians, we are called to live above and to look above this negativity. To live even thankful in the now for that which is not yet. In the midst of the negative, to still be thankful and give praise to God. And so it seems, it seems appropriate to then look at Psalm 100 this morning. Debbie read for us earlier, but if you still have your Bibles open there to Psalm 100. A Psalm for Giving Thanks, mine is titled, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Everything about this psalm is joyful. There is not one element of negativity within this psalm. Now, if you've read the psalms, you know that there are many psalms in which there are some laments. There are expressions of frustration and, and doubt and, and maybe even at times anger. Some wondering about what is going on. But, but in this psalm, everything is positive. There are many things we could look at in this psalm this morning we could analyze the motivations of why we, we should give praise that, 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 that we are made by the creator of the universe, that he has he is shepherded, shepherded us, that his love is, is forever, it is never ending, and it passes on to generation to generation. But, but I want to look at the aspect of the psalm that is prophetic for the future. As I was reading in several commentaries, this is actually seen as a, a prophetic picture of the future for every believer. You see, Psalms 93 through Psalm 99 are enthronement psalms. And in each of those enthronement psalms, there is a building of praise to God. This, 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 this building of praise towards God and as, as, as God is brought before the people and as God is put upon the throne and as sin is, is done away with. But the praise in all of those psalms is tempered just a little bit. But the message of these psalms, what it's building up to, is the idea that God can be trusted even in the face of difficulty, that, that God can be trusted even in the face of a negative world, that God can be trusted even when the future looks bleak, that God can be trusted even in opposition to our own sinful inclinations. God, still above all this, can be trusted. And in Psalm 100, this truth comes to a climax when the psalmist prophetically claims, shout to the for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And the picture is now of all the earth celebrating and praising God. Where do we find that this time is going to happen when all the earth will celebrate and praise God? In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the Bible tells us, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. The psalm is telling us to celebrate this reality in the here and now, even though this is not yet. Has all your pain gone away? Have all your tears been dried? Do you ever mourn? As Bill prayed, we've had a rough year in this church with grief and loss and pain. And yet we're still called to, in, in the Psalm 100, to, to celebrate this prophetic future of all the earth celebrating God and rejoicing and singing to God and coming into his presence and giving thanks and praising. And we're called to do this in the now, even though that reality 
is not yet. The psalm is both prophetic and a pre- prophetic and a present reality all at once. The psalm Psalm 100 is calling us to live in the promise in the here and now. The promise of what is not yet. In fact, in that text in Revelation chapter 21, this isn't in my notes, but I'll just add this to to your brains because I think it's a beautiful thing. In Revelation 21, it talks about, and God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him and he will be our God and we will be his people. The same line, be his people, is, or that we are his people, is in Psalm 100. And what you don't see in the English that's beautiful in the Hebrew is that there's 20 words that come before that phrase in the Hebrew, and there's 20 words that come after it. And so some of your Hebrew commentaries say that, that this is the heart of this psalm, that we are his people, that we are God's people. But there are seven commands in this psalm. In the structure of the psalm, we see that, that though this reality is not yet where all the earth is praising God and there is no pain and there is, uh, there is no suffering, that, that time is not yet. There is still a, a call for us to live in this way. And there are seven imperatives, seven commands that are within this psalm. And these seven commands are to shout and to worship and to come to know God and to, to enter into his gates with, with praise and thanksgiving, to give thanks to him and to praise, sing praises to his name. These aren't commands to do this only once we reach that time when we'll all be gathered together to praise God. The Bible is calling us to do them in the here and now. As I read Psalm 100, I read it as a call to lift my eyes up off of the negative, to lift my eyes out of the the, the muck of what I see in the future and start to give thanks now even though I can't see that future day at this point. Y'all, we don't need any help in finding the negatives in this world. It's naturally somewhat within us. We don't need any help because if for a moment we start to get positive, we may have someone else come around us and say, hey, did you hear about this or did you know about this? Our sinful nature is negatively, uh, is naturally inclined toward the negative. Those of us, those, those around us like to point out to us the negative when was the last time someone in a quiet voice came to you and and pulled you aside and said hey I I gotta tell you something and they said I need to tell you something I need to talk to you about something and they they whispered to you Joe is such a nice guy but shh don't tell anybody that I told you about this That, that, that never happens if someone's pulling you aside to whisper something in your ear what is it it's negative Those side room conversations at work, sometimes the side room conversations at church, they're so often negative. We don't need any help finding the negative. And so in the midst of all this negativity, Psalm 100 is this voice calling out to us to to take our eyes off of this present reality and to celebrate, to begin to praise God and give thanks to the God for that which is not yet, but we know is coming by his power and by his grace. I ran my first marathon 12 years ago in Columbus, Ohio. And let me tell you something. No one knows how difficult it is to run 26.2 miles until someone's run 26.2 miles. 
But getting prepared for the marathon, everyone wants to tell you how difficult it is. And, and you're sitting there listening to all this and saying, okay, I'm hearing you. And a lot of marathoners will talk about the, the mental hurdles that you have to get through to finish a marathon. I had friends that had run marathons and they would say to me, uh, Chad, the last six miles are all mental. It's all about attitude. The last six miles are all about attitude. I remember my dad said to me once, anybody can run 20 miles. It's the last six miles that you really have to just buckle down and get through. Kevin, you're smiling. You've run. You know what I'm talking about. I read a book called The Long Run Solution. This guy wrote about LSD, not the drug, long, slow distance. But in this book, he talked, it was all about getting your, your, your mind in the right headspace to run long and, and, and to, to, to just absorb the surroundings and to get focused so you wouldn't get distracted by the pain and by the suffering. And, and so everyone talks about this and, and you hear it and you listen, but, but, but no one knows how challenging it is to run 26.2 miles until you run 26.2 miles. So I start my marathon and I was running along and I got to mile 20 and I felt great and I thought all those people were crazy. I, I obviously am the exception to the rule. I'm going to make it through 26.2 miles without any struggle at all. I had, had one negative thought. It had felt great. I'm just running along, cruising along. And I thought to myself, well, this is pretty easy. And I run right through mile 20 and I get to the 21 mile marker. And I see the 21 mile marker and I just kind of smile at it because man, I'm still feeling good. You're not hurting me at all. And I'm about a half a mile past that 21 mile marker and all of a sudden something yelled at me, my stomach. And it yelled at me, stop. And I didn't listen to it, I kept running. And then my stomach yelled at me, stop or I'm going to embarrass you right now. And I knew that it was not lying. And I happened to just be right in front of a, I was in a neighborhood, and there were some people sitting in lawn chairs watching the marathon in front of their house. And I turned to these people and I said, uh, excuse me, can I ask you something? Would you mind if I use your bathroom? <laughs> and you know what they said? Good Christian people. They said, yes, go ahead. So I went in and I used the bathroom, and while I was using the bathroom, this thought came into my brain. I'm not going to make it. I can't do this. Finished going to the restroom, said thank you, left, got back on the course, started to run again, and now every mile started to feel rough. Not just in my body and not just in my stomach, but my brain. Everything became negative. And I started to, to talk to myself. And I started to think, how am I going to get a hold of my friends when I have to quit? I didn't have a cell phone. And then an ambulance flew by me <laughs> to go pick up someone that was running behind me, somewhere behind me. And I thought, they're going to have to come back here and pick me up in a few minutes. I mean, this is, this is how I'm feeling. And at mile 23, I started to feel this tightness in my hamstring. And so I stopped and I thought, well, I'll just stretch it out. And have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and, and felt a cramp coming on, you try to stretch it, and it like just locks you up. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this was worse, all right? <laughs> when I tried to stretch it, my whole leg seized up, and, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and finally, I relaxed, and I breathed, and I, and, I, and, I, 
And I, it loosened up and I started to go again, but now my leg is just in so much pain. And I'm asking myself out loud, why did you decide to do this? You should have stuck with 13.1 miles. 13.1 miles is so easy compared to 26.2 miles. And I'm hobbling along on one leg, and then at about mile 24, my left leg seizes up again to a point that I literally tipped over, and there was a parked car right there. It was, I think it was a gift from the Lord, because it was right there, and I fell into the car. If that car had not been there, I would have been flat on my side on the curb. And now I'm just so upset, and I'm, I'm trying to stretch, and I'm trying to get going again. And, and I've looked back. I actually went back this week and looked at my, that race from 2009 or 2007, well, whatever, 12, 12 years ago, it was 2007, right? And I'm looking back at that race, and I realized that I was like 8.30, 8.30, 8.30 pace, mile 21, and then 10.30, 10.40, 10.50, which now is actually my fast time, but it was prodding then. So, so we, all, we all get older, but, but I'm so frustrated. I finally get going again, and now I'm, I'm just cursing at my body, and, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to move along. But now there is not one positive thought in my head. And I'm angry because I feel like there's not enough aid stations around to help me out. And then some older lady comes running by me with this big smile on her face. And I just wanted to yell at her, stop smiling. <laughs> and if you've run a marathon, you've been through these settings. I mean, I do it now to people. You run up behind someone who's really struggling and you come up behind them and you say, you can do it. You're almost there. You know, I mean, this is what we do. And, I, and, so, and so this person comes up behind me and says, you can do it. You're almost there. And they're lucky that my body was not functioning right because I thought to myself, I'm going to trip them for saying that. And I'm just struggling and my head is down and every step I take is like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I come around this corner, you're just following the mass of people, and I come around this corner and with my head down and I'm just trudging along. And right then, both my legs seize up. And my running goes from like kind of this to, to kind of this. And right then, as I'm thinking to myself, I am not going to make it. I'm not paying attention to where I'm at anymore. I'm just thinking, I'm going to die. I cannot do this. I hear this voice shout out, you got this, Chad. You can do it, Chad. You're almost there. And I recognize the voice. Dave Vandenberg, the pastor at the time of Kettering, his wife, Chris Vandenberg, was there. And another uh, young lady and, her, and uh, Chris, Vandenberg, Chris and Dave's son, uh, Jonathan were there, and they're screaming at me, you got it, Chad, you got it, Chad. And I, I look up, and I see them smiling at me and giving me thumbs up and, and so excited about what I'm doing. And I kind of try to smile at them, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then I turn my head, and I look, and I realize it's true. I'm almost there. Maybe a half mile or three-quarters of a mile down, I can see the finish line at the end of this long Stretch, and even though I'm not there yet, all of a sudden, this smile just comes across my face, and, and tears start coming down my face. It was probably a little bit that I was thankful, but it was just joy. It was joy, and I turn back to them, and I'm now I'm like, yeah, I'm there. And the rest of that race, I start to sprint, you know, because you want to finish strong. And, and at the time, I'm sure I thought it looked beautiful, but it was probably like, <laughs> like this. But but 
I thought it was great in the moment, and in my brain now I'm saying, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is so great, I'm so glad I did this, even though I wasn't quite there yet. I look at Psalm 100 as that voice that calls out to us in all the negativity that is this world, and we're thinking, I just can't do it anymore. I'm in too much pain, there's too much suffering, there's too much strength. And this psalm calls out to us and reminds us, just look up a little higher. Because there's a finish line where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. You're not there yet. But even though I wasn't at that finish line yet, yes, this is awesome. I can make it. The scriptures tell us, continuing in Revelation, the scriptures tell us, Jesus says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will will be my children. The world is telling us that everything coming is doom and gloom. And God is telling us to look just a little bit higher because just beyond the way is forever with Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the scriptures, and we thank you for this psalm, Psalm 100, that, that calls out to us and reminds us that even though we are not there yet, we can begin to celebrate and give thanks in the now for what is yet to come. Because we have hope, Jesus, in you and your promises. You are our God. You made us. You created us. You are our shepherd. You, you guide us and protect us. Your love is, is enduring throughout all generations. And so, Lord, help us this Thanksgiving season, but not just in this season. Help us to even go beyond this season as we enter into 2020 and the voices will get louder and louder for more and more negativity. Lord, help us to hear your voice calling us and help us to look up beyond and to see, to see the glorious reunion we will have with you. Jesus, keep us thankful in the now. For what is not yet, we pray in your name. Amen.